God Conversations with Tanya Harris. So, let me ask you that question. What does God tell me? <laughs> well, you know, thunder, lightning. <laughs> Mother Teresa, someone asked her, when does God speak to you? And she said, whenever he wants. So essentially, the, the Bible is a, a collection of God Conversations, if you like. I had a vision of a car accident, and I'm sitting on the couch thinking, why have I just seen this? How could I know if God was speaking to me? How could I know that that or that thought was actually just me thinking about, oh, I've had some bad pizza. Jesus said we'd recognise his voice. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation. There was a song that hit the top of the charts in the early 1980s, first in Australia and then in the US. It was re-released in Australia in 2004 and spent a long time at the top of the charts again, this time hitting the top in Ireland as well. The song was called, What About Me? It's a song that asks a lot of questions from a position of pain. Somehow the lines of this song resonated with hundreds and thousands of people. Perhaps because when we find ourselves going through hard times, we end up asking the same sorts of questions. What about me? What about God? And what about them? Hi, and welcome to episode 47 of the God Conversations podcast. My name is Tanya Harris, and I'm a pastor, speaker, and founder of this ministry that equips you to recognize and respond to God's voice. Today, we're talking about what is God saying in the midst of my pain? The questions that we ask when life goes wrong. We're going to talk about whether it's even wrong to ask the why question. What we do with the questions when there seems to be no answers and God's response to our time of pain and suffering. Now, I often think that when we're suffering, it's difficult to hear God's voice. Have you found that? It's hard to discern his his voice of gentleness and compassion when we're in agony, wondering why God isn't doing something about it. That's why we're talking about it today. The idea is to look at what God has said to other people in history and people like Job and Joseph and what God said to them in the midst of their pain so then we can be open to hearing him in the midst of ours. My prayer is that you'll feel his presence, his comfort and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and that you'll be open to hear what God is saying. He may not have direct answers for your pain right now, but he is an expert in knowing how to respond, having been there himself. Here's what God is saying in the midst of my pain. I remember when that song first came out, people would sing it at the top of their voice. What about me? It isn't fair. People loved it. Let me give you a little bit of a background from it. It was first released by a band called Moving Pictures in 1982 and it was the band's first number one single in Australia and it spent six consecutive weeks at the top. Then it went to the US where it hit the top again. When it was re-released by Shannon Knoll in Australia in 2004, it debuted at number one and it even hit the top of the charts in Ireland. So why was it so popular? I ask myself that question, you know, I think it's because it strikes a chord with every one of us who's ever found ourselves burnt by life and all its disappointments. You might have felt like that yourself. You go along in life, you're doing the best you can, and then someone takes from you or wrongs you. You lose your job, a relationship breaks down, your plans fail, and you find yourself crying out, what about 
me. Actually, when you listen to the full song, it's kind of a whiny song. But the interesting thing is I found some biblical equivalents for this song. Let me read you some parts of Psalm 142. It says this, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell him my trouble. What about me? In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see, no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I think it was the ancient equivalent of what about me? See, the psalmist is asking this important question, God, where are you? What's going on in my life? Are you seeing what's happening to me? In fact, I think the beauty of Scripture is that we see people bearing their soul when they go through hard times. The Scriptures are so honest. The words are often so raw and so true. And we see that people are asking a lot of questions. Why am I going through this? Why are other people doing the wrong thing and getting away with it? And what about you, God? Where are you in the midst of my pain? I think as we talk about this topic, it's important to understand that it's not wrong to ask God questions. It's okay to pour out your confusion and your pain before him. In fact, asking questions is a part of what makes us human. There's something in us that seeks meaning in our lives and in the things that happen to us. We're not just a product of impersonal, natural forces. It's the fact that we were created for purpose that leaves us asking questions when that purpose is obstructed or when it's denied. I first learnt this message a number of years ago when I was going through a hard time myself. I remember driving along in the car. It was late at night and very dark. There was no one around and I started to let loose on God. I said, God, what are you doing? You're not coming through and everything's going wrong. And because no one else was around, I started to get angry. I really voiced my frustration. And I thought any moment now, a lightning bolt's going to strike me down for my irreverence. But then an odd thing happened. A text message came through just in the moment I'd asked God a question. I looked at the text message and it said these words, only believe, only believe, all things are possible, (laughs) only believe. I found out later that a friend of mine had felt that God wanted to encourage me and he sent me the message at the exact time that I needed to hear it. Well, it was an odd situation, but the thing that struck me was that God answered me at all. This was not in church in some holy and reverent moment where I was singing sweet worship songs before him. I was angry. I was bitter. I was frustrated. And the truth is that asking God questions, opening up our hearts in the honesty and the rawness of our true selves is actually a sign of intimacy with God. It's a sign of relationship and of trust. We become angry with the people that we know the most. And so asking God questions is not a sign of irreverence. Letting him know how we feel is not a lack of of worship to him. It's actually a sign of our relationship. You know, there's an interesting story about a group of people in the Bible, a group of priests who went through troubled times. And it was a time in history when things had gone very wrong, when foreign armies had come in and devastated the nation. And it's interesting because when we read about this story in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 8, God makes this comment reflecting on the story. He says, the priests didn't ask me where I was in the midst of it. Why didn't they ask? Then he says, because they don't know me. 
What a telling statement. Those who know God don't fear asking the hard questions. It's those who don't know him who don't ask. One of the most common reasons given by atheists for their lack of belief in God is an inability to reconcile what God is doing in the midst of our suffering. What about God is one of the first questions we ask when we're going through a difficult time. Recently, I was chatting with a young man whose uncle had suffered in the wars in Africa and he saw unspeakable things. This man concluded bitterly and emphatically from the atrocities he'd heard about that God didn't exist because if he did, he would have done something about it. It's a big question, isn't it? What about God? Where is he? Where is God in the midst of our disappointment? Where was he during the wars that this man's uncle suffered? And why didn't he do something to stop it? I remember when I was young, growing up, I thought that if you did the right things, you followed God with all your heart, then nothing would go wrong. Then as I grew older, I heard stories of missionaries giving birth to children with cerebral palsy. I heard of good friends getting cancer, and I realized that I was wrong. Yes, you can position yourself for good things. You can live a life of wisdom, but that doesn't guarantee you protection from life's problems. Good people still suffer, and the question is why? This very theme is the topic of one of the wisdom books in the Bible. Where is God in the midst of evil? What about God? You may know the story. Job was a good and upright man is how he's described. He's the ultimate model citizen. He gave to the poor. He lived a life of integrity. He was faithful to his wife. He worshipped God. In other words, he did everything right. He was a candidate for all the blessings of God. And so initially we see it works for him. Everything goes to plan. His life is blessed. He's got a beautiful family. He's got children. He's got prosperity. He's got a great reputation. He was called the greatest man among all the people of the East. It's all looking good. But then we read on. And we see that Job loses everything, his family, his wealth, his health, and none of it is due to his actions. It all happens because of a series of freak accidents, natural disasters, tribal attacks, and unexplained illness. So Job finds himself asking the same question we all ask ourselves when things go wrong. What about God? In fact, the entire book is a discussion about this very question. It's like this dramatic story is presented and then it sets the scene for all the wise and learned to discuss this age-old question. So here we are. What about God? What's really key in the story of Job is to look back at chapters 1 and 2. You see, there's a scene that occurs behind the curtains of life, so to speak. It shows what's happening in the spiritual realm and only the readers get to see it. It shows what's happening in the spiritual realm. The whole idea is that we as the reading audience get to see it, but Job never does. The scene shows that the source of all the pain ultimately was not God. There was an enemy at work, an accuser, an adversary, an agent of evil, and it wasn't God. For Job, that evil took on the form of accidents, 
enemy raiders and an unexplainable disease. The whole point here is that the reason for the pain wasn't God. God is sovereign, but his sovereignty doesn't mean that he controls everything that happens on earth. It doesn't mean that everything that happens is his will. Pain and suffering do not find their origin in him. How could it? God is love, purely and simply. His heart is to bless, to build up, not to take away and to cause pain. The truth is we have a perfect God, but we don't live in a perfect world. There's a reason why we pray, God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's because his will is not always done on earth. Heaven is the place where there's no sin or pain or tears or suffering. That's a picture of God's will. The problem is, of course, that living in this world means that we're subject to the sin and the evil that operates within it. God's precious gift of freedom means that we're subject to both the consequences of our own decisions and the choices of others. So the same gift of freedom that allowed Martin Luther King to impact so many lives in the US for good is the gift of freedom that allowed Hitler to cause so much suffering in Europe. Even the good people, even those who strive to follow God, even the Christians are subject to evil. As Matthew 5.45 says, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't see our pain and that he doesn't care. The scriptures say he stores our tears in a bottle. When we ask, what about God? The answer is, he's right here. He's the one who knows what it is to experience pain because Jesus, his son, experienced it all for us and he promises to walk with us through whatever we're going through. You're listening to God Conversations with Tanya Harris. Did you know you can subscribe to the program's podcast on iTunes? Simply look up God Conversations with Tanya Harris and click subscribe. Then you can listen to the program on your smartphone or tablet or computer, wherever you happen to be. That's the God Conversations with Tanya Harris podcast on iTunes. Why not check it out today? Have you ever been in a situation where you've been wronged? There's a cry that rises up inside of us for justice. We find ourselves wanting to get revenge. The question we ask in the midst of our pain is, what about them? What is God doing to bring me justice? One morning, not that long ago, I went out to my car to go to work and I found long, ugly scratches marked all the way down the side of my car. And then I noticed that the side view mirror had been ripped off and it was hanging loosely. Someone had taken out my car during the night and had just driven away. So the first thing I did was ring up the insurance company to put a claim in. Well, to my horror, they told me that if I put in a claim, I would lose my top rating status. But it wasn't my fault, I told them. It just happened when I wasn't even there. Someone has just come in and taken my car out. But they told me unless I could find the culprit, it was considered to be my fault. So there was the repair bill, but there was also a lot of money lost over the next few years to build up my rating one status again. Well, you can imagine I was furious. It wasn't fair. I had to pay the price of someone else's poor choices. My question was, what about them? 
See, this is the kind of question we find ourselves asking when we're wronged by someone else, when we have to pay the price of someone else's poor decision. This could be really minor things like when someone wrecks the side mirror of your car or tells a lie about you at work, or it could be much more serious, say if you're the victim of crime, or perhaps you were abused in your childhood. We find ourselves focused on what will happen to the other person. What about them? The question comes from a cry for justice, which is actually a good thing. It's a God thing. Justice is a God-given trait. It's something that God describes himself as. He's just and he's good. And it propels us towards a better society when wrongs are made right. So this is a good thing. I remember hearing a story about a man called Dr. Victor Cheng. He was an Australian hero a number of years ago in this country. He was renowned for his work with heart transplants and research, and he helped to establish a national cardiac transplant unit, pioneering the development of an artificial heart valve. His work saved countless people's lives. But in 1991, Dr. Cheng died after being shot in a failed extortion attempt against him. Some years later, there was a move to release his murderer early. Well, you can imagine, there was a huge public outcry. People were shocked and questions were being asked about the fairness of our justice system. Basically, the public were furious. You see, there's something in us that understands the need for justice. Wrongs must be righted. They must be paid for. In fact, counsellors were saying at that time that an early release of Chang's murderer brought even greater suffering to the families because healing could only come when justice is given. Sometimes in life, we do see wrongs being righted. We see that in time, sometimes justice comes, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes that there's an unfairness to life that seems unexplainable. It's in those times that it's crucial to remember that God is presented as our very own defense eternity. We've talked this week about Job's suffering. When Job was asking the question, what about them? He answered it with this statement in chapter 16, verse 19. He says this, Even now my witness is in heaven, my advocate is on high. You see, God is a witness to everything that happens. He sees it all and he promises to defend our case. Our advocate is on high. God also promises to bring justice and ultimately to make things right, either in this life or in the one to come. There will be a time when wrongs are completely righted. So when we don't see justice coming, when we ask the question, what about then? God says, I will judge. Leave it to me. Romans chapter 14 verses 10 to 12 reminds us of this when it says that we'll all stand before God's judgment seat. All of us will give an account of himself to God. So what about them? When we don't receive earthly justice, the justice that we desire, when we're treated unfairly, we need to trust the heavenly defence attorney that he will go to work on our behalf. We need to keep walking in integrity to refuse revenge and leave justice to God. He is the one who will vindicate. 
Thanks for listening in today. It's a tough question. What about them? What do we do when we're wronged? And the pain of that is real. And sometimes justice doesn't come as quickly as we'd like. But we do have an advocate that promises to help us. I remember a number of years ago, a time when God had made many promises for my life about what he was going to do and where he was taking me. Things were going well. Everything looked right on track and then wham, it all backfired. People made choices. Circumstances went wrong and I found myself asking the question, what about me? What happens when we're wronged by others? How does that affect my destiny? How does it affect God's purpose for my life? You might have found yourself in a situation like that. It can be a pretty discouraging time. You might have started a business or a new job, or perhaps you've moved house and or entered a new relationship, and it feels like the hand of God is on it. And then what happens? Everything suddenly reverses, and we find ourselves asking this question, God, what about me? There was a young man in history who I'm pretty sure found himself asking the very same question. He was someone who had the world at his feet. He was favoured by his father and a treasured son of his mother. Even better, the hand of God was on his life. God had showed him that one day he would be in a high position of leadership, that even though he was the youngest son, his whole family would bow down to him. A radical reversal in a time when the oldest son always inherited the greatest position in the family. You may know the name of the man. His name was Joseph. And you can track the rest of the story in Genesis chapter 37. And you'll see that he has plenty of opportunity to ask himself the question, what about me? You'll see that sometime later, he finds himself in a pit being sold to slave traders. His brothers, his own flesh had placed him there because they were jealous of him. So Joseph's bound in shackles. He's traveling miles from his home to the foreign land of Egypt, an unknown country. He's taken to a marketplace and bidded for as a slave. And then in the end, he becomes a household slave in a house belonging to Potiphar, the captain of the guard in Egypt. Later, we find that he's wrongfully accused of seducing his boss's wife, and he finds himself in the depths of an Egyptian prison. What a ride. You can imagine him sitting in that pit, can't you? In the shackles, and then on the slaver's platform, and finally in the prison cell, asking the question, what about me? What about the dream that God has promised? What about God's plan for my life? Everything around him looked like the promises had failed. The question that we have to ask is this. Are the actions of other people able to sabotage God's destiny in our lives? And what happens when people make bad choices and we suffer their consequences? Does this mean our future in God's purpose is ruined? Joseph, of course, didn't know the answer to that question when he makes a choice about how to respond to the situation he finds himself in. See, the whole way through his story, we see him making choices to persevere, neither seeking revenge or losing his faith. First of all, we see in Potiphar's house where he works hard and shows exemplary behaviour. He's promoted to the head of the household, a lowly slave. And then later in the prison, where he's been falsely accused, he's appointed as a leader there. 
We know that he continues to uphold his integrity no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the enemy throws at him. I love that. What an example. When we go through hard times, we need to make a choice as to how to respond. We, we need to be able to say, I won't let the actions of others dictate my behavior. I will choose to walk in integrity and grace. I will take the higher road. It's hard, but it's worth it. Because when we get to that place of taking the higher road, when we make that choice to follow God no matter what, the enemy can't touch us. When we say, no matter what you throw at me, enemy, I will worship. I will never let God go. Nothing you can do to me will stop that. It reminds me of the verse that we read in Job chapter 17, verse 9. It says this, Nevertheless, the righteous will hold to their ways, and those with clean hands will grow stronger. Can I encourage you today that even when people's actions sabotage what you're trying to do, to keep walking according to God's ways, stay faithful. Get that grunt in your spirit like Joseph did. No matter what you throw at me, world, I'm going to take the high road. And then we begin to see what God does. Because the enemy may come to steal and destroy, but God restores. And more than that, he upgrades. He returns what has been stolen in even greater measure. We see this happen in Joseph's life. Psalm 105 verse 17 to 19 talks about this. It says, They bruised his feet with shackles and they put his neck in irons till what was foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. What do we see God do? Two years later in that prison, after a series of divine events, we see Joseph being promoted. Where do we see him promoted to? Not just the head of the household in Potiphar's house, not just back where he came from. No, he's promoted to the prime minister of Egypt. He's second in charge of the world's greatest empire of the day. You know, maybe Joseph's initial destiny was only to be a leader in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was captain of the guard, so it was still a high position. And it was never God's idea for Potiphar's wife to create a scandal that would imprison him. But this is the God who takes evil, turns it around and uses it for good. And he does that in Joseph's life as well. Joseph's position and the hand of God on it ended up saving countless lives within the empire. From Joseph's life, we can learn the answer to that question. What about me? When we follow God, nothing can stop his purposes from coming to pass. No enemy attack, no human action, no wrongful circumstance can keep God from doing what he said. We just need to keep walking faithfully. We need to keep maintaining our integrity and get that Joseph grunt in your spirit. No matter what happens, I'm still going to worship God. The truth is when you follow God, you cannot lose. He's the one who has all the answers to our questions. When we say, what about me? He has wisdom to say. He sees everything that we go through. So when we ask the question, well, what about God? We know that he's not the author of our pain. We know that we live in a fallen world and we often find ourselves paying for the choices of others. Freedom means that things can go wrong and we may be subject to them. 
But God is not the author of our pain, and he certainly isn't intimidated by our questions or by our confusion in the midst of it. Instead, he invites us to open our hearts to him, to cry out to him in honesty and in vulnerability, just like this song, and as so many of the scripture writers did. That kind of openness is not a sign of irreverence. It's a sign of trust. It's a sign of calling out to the one we know who has the solution. And then we might ask, well, what about them? In that case, we remember that God is a God of justice, that when we don't see the justice we deserve in this life, that God is our defence attorney and that he promises to right wrongs either here on earth or in heaven when we're all be held accountable for our actions. God's promise is to vindicate us when we can't vindicate ourselves. He calls us not to take revenge, but to trust him to work it out on our behalf to achieve the justice that we long for. And lastly, the question, what about me? What happens to my life when things seem to rear up and threaten my purpose? When people do the wrong thing or when circumstances reverse? We learn from the example of Joseph here that in those times, the call is to maintain our integrity, to keep following Jesus, to return evil with good and to trust him in the midst of it. His promise is that no weapon formed against us will prosper and that his purpose will stand as we follow him. Let's finish up this topic with looking at what we do when we don't get answers to our questions. Because sometimes in life, there are just no answers. Sometimes circumstances are unexplainable. Life can truly be unfair. Jesus' words to his disciples when he was giving his farewell speech before leaving the earth are helpful here. In John chapter 16, verse 12, Jesus says these words, I have much more to tell you, but you're not ready for it. I have more to tell you. I have more to say, but you can't hear it right now. In other words, there are reasons for what is happening around you, but you can't understand them. They're too much. It's like we're the third grader trying to understand Pythagoras theorem. First of all, we need to learn our 12 times table. Perhaps the answer is just too complex. Maybe the consequences are too far-reaching or too difficult to comprehend. Maybe there are spiritual forces at work or human decisions at play that we can't conceive. And we're left with our questions hanging in the air. We find ourselves with no answers. But God's wisdom means not only knowing what to say, but when to say it. In those times, we need to remember that unanswered questions are not a withdrawal of God's love. God is with us in the pain. It's one of the reasons he sent Jesus to earth. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says that we don't have a God who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. He's not a God who can't relate to our pain. He knows what it means to live in a fallen world, to experience suffering and pain. So what we need to do is approach God's throne of grace and there we'll receive the mercy that will help us in our time of need. In a time of unanswered questions, what we need to do is draw near to God, to trust him, to call out to him. And as we do that, his promise is that he'll carry us through. 
Thanks so much for listening to the show. It's been a heavy topic this week, but one I trust has been helpful to you or perhaps someone else in your life who's going through a difficult time and asking those very big questions. Great to have you on the show today. Don't miss the next episode by subscribing on iTunes. Search for God Conversations with Tanya Harris and click subscribe. While you're there, leave us a review so others can learn to hear God's voice too. 